And by the way, if you're a new member, we're having a new member's luncheon next week. And this is a great time for us to introduce the inner workings of the President's class. What is the President's Council? What do they do? Why aren't there any women on the President's Council? That's the big question. Today we're going to talk about the mystery of the Kingdom. But we should be talking about the mystery of the President's Council. What goes on in those secret meetings? So if you want to know, and you're a new member, next week we have a luncheon that's free for you. And we talk about just the President's class, its history, what we do, the ministries that we have. just all aspects of the President's Council, and we want you to, to come. And if you are a member of the class, uh, we invite you to come as well to meet the new members. And they need to know you. That's how people get incorporated and bonded and everything. So if you're a member, it's $5 for the luncheon. What are we having next week to eat? Does anybody know yet? Okay, so it's chicken casserole, rice, vegetables, dessert, drink, and uh, we hope that you'll come. On the table, there's a sign-up sheet. What we need to know is that you're coming so we know how much food to get. Okay? It should be a yellow sign-up sheet. If you don't have one, just raise your hand, and we, those, we'll get those sign-up sheets to you. Keep your hand raised for a table. There's a table back there. There's a table here. Anybody else see? Okay, I think we're okay here. If you can't afford to pay $5, Drake Patterson is just volunteering. <laughs> <laughs> pay for you. <laughs> that, lunch will, that lunch will take place on the 8th floor in this building at 11 o'clock. Okay, 8th eight, floor, 11 o'clock. We hope you will come. Sandy Keaton here today? Stand up, Sandy, so all the new members know who you are. This is the lady that we support who has the uh, apartment ministry with the kids. And uh, if you got Sandy's email last week, it was a real tremendous story about this woman, one of the mothers of the kids in the apartment complex. And we're talking about a very depressed area here where these people live. And she led one of the mothers to the Lord. And then she went to visit the mother later that week, and she couldn't get an answer. She called, couldn't get an answer. Finally, she discovers from a neighbor or a manager of the apartment building that there was an altercation in that apartment. Husband was very abusive, probably drunk, threatened her. She had to climb out a window to escape for her life. This is a woman that Sandy has led to the Lord. Did you ever find this woman, Sandy? Went back, uh, Doctor Street, to her husband. Went back to her husband. She said she forgave, but just pray. Abusers sometimes continue. Of course, I'm praying for him, but I have to pray for me to forgive him before I pray for him. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the lady's going back to her husband has forgiven him, but that doesn't change him. So let's remember to pray. It's a great ministry, and we hope that you'll support Sandy Keaton and her kids. Okay, well, let's take our Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 13. We begin the parables today, and we're going to look at the first parable, Matthew chapter 13. So while you're finding that passage, let me remind you what's happening in the book of Matthew at this point. The tide is turning against Jesus. The religious leaders are trying to 
or forming plots to kill Jesus. And this raises a question amongst the disciples and the ordinary people out there is if Jesus is bringing in the kingdom like he claims, isn't that good news? Why are our religious leaders turning against him? Okay? Why are our religious leaders turning against him if he's promising to bring in the kingdom? And to explain this opposition, Jesus decides to deliver a series of seven parables. And there are seven parables in Matthew chapter 13. Now what is a parable? This is very important. If you were in my class, I would be really testing you on this area. A parable is a simple story drawn from everyday life in order to teach a truth based on analogy. It's a, it's a story that is uh, that you use to draw an analogy between that story and real life. And so what he's going to do, he's going to tell a simple story to draw an analogy and explain why the religious leaders oppose him. Okay? So we're going to cover the first 23 verses, which is the first parable. And I'm going to give you the outline for our study today. First of all, you have the parable proper. Jesus gives the parable. He tells the parable. That's verses 1 through 9. Okay? 1 through 9. Then he explains the purpose of parables. Why he gives parables. That's verses 10 through 17. And then he explains this parable, what it means. Verses 18 through 23. He tells the parable. He gives the purpose of parables. And now he explains this parable. So let's look at this first parable. Look at verse 1. On the same day, that's the day that Jesus leaves the house when his brothers and the mothers come and try to get him to go back home and uh, he says, Who is my mother and my brother? On that same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat by the sea. Uh, he's going to teach. And this is the posture of a rabbi, a posture of a teacher. They usually sit down when they teach. Okay? And the multitude, verse 2, were gathered together to him. Notice the word multitude, masses. So that he got into the boat. <clears throat> they crowded in to the point that he had to get into a boat and he sat, and the multitude stood on the shore. So the crowd is so large that he, they can't see him or hear him, so what he does, because he's sitting down, he goes and he gets into a boat, goes out a little bit, and from there everybody can see him. And it's from this vantage point he begins to tell the parable. Okay, So here is the parable itself. Verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, people in ancient Palestine didn't have farm equipment like we have. And the way they sowed seed was they sowed seed by hand. And they would just scatter that seed. And some of you have done that in your yards before. Just scatter seed like that. And it says, And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside the wayside. Okay. So the planter or the sower would just toss the seed out. And he would toss it out over a broad area. And that's where we get the word broadcasting. Sometimes we have seed spreaders that are called broadcasters. It sends the seed out over a broad area. So that's what he's doing. Now you need to understand how farming took place. People who lived in the city little town were involved in agriculture. 
and there would be a field, and the field might, let's say, is as big as this this yard, uh, this room right here. Okay, all this is room to plant crops in, uh, vegetables for your for your family to eat during the day. Okay, and let's imagine this great big field right here is divided into one field over there, and then there's a pathway, another field right here, a pathway, another field here, a pathway, and then the pathway here, a field over there, a field here, field here. You may be, this plot of land may be divided into uh, six or nine fields. And maybe yours is way back there. And you live way over there, so guess what you got to do? You got to walk by the pathways. They put pathways between the fields. So that was Farmer A's field, this is Farmer B's field, three, and so on and so forth. So these pathways became beaten down, hard, like our sidewalks. So as the farmer is spreading his seed, guess what? Some of it falls on the pathway, on the hard ground. And that's what you have here in verse 4. Does that make sense? And look what it says in verse 4. And the birds came and devoured the seed because it was sitting on top of the, of the ground. And so the birds just came and plucked it up. So that's scene number one in the parable. Now look at the second scene, verse 5. Some of the seed that he cast out fell on stony places, rocky terrain, where they did not have much earth. <clears throat> now in Ancient Palestine, a lot of the ground uh, was made of limestone. You know when we built our old building? Got limestone from Israel, remember that? Maybe this building's going to have some limestone from Israel, I don't know. But a lot of the ground in Israel consists of limestone with a thin layer, an inch or two layer, of dirt over it. So that kind of ground has no depth. Now, Lynn has an uncle that lives up near Camp David in the Catoctin Mountains. This man has what's known as a rock farm. You know what that is? <laughs> that's a piece of property that's like, you can't grow a thing on it. You can, you can have some animals, but you can't grow much. So every, there's rocks, and they come out of the ground, and some of the, and even if you can see some dirt, you can be sure that if you just dig down about an inch or two, there's rock. So, the farmer, some of this field is made of rock. And so when he casts it out, some of it falls on that stony ground. That's what it's saying there in verse 5. And look what happens in verse at the end of verse 5. <clears throat> and those seed immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. So they sprout up very quickly. But they don't have any roots. But when the sun was up, verse 6, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. So that is the second scene. Now look at the third scene, verse 7. Some of that seed fell among thorns. Yes, on some of the ground there were weeds. And it fell among the thorns. And the thorns sprang up and choked them. Now in this case, the depth of the earth is okay. But this particular portion of earth is infiltrated by weeds and the weeds overtake the seeds and they cannot grow. So nothing grows amongst the weeds. It looks like my yard, in other words. <laughs> okay, so 
I understand this part of it very clearly. So uh, if you have weeds, guess what? Nothing else grows in the weeds. So that's scene number three. Now look at scene number four, verse eight. Others fell on good ground. There was no weeds, there was no stone, it was nice and soft, and it yielded a crop. A hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold, a harvest beyond expectation. Now, this is just the way it is. What does it mean, a hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold? Well, in that ground, it's good. It doesn't. Everything doesn't grow equal, even in good ground. Did you ever notice that? In my backyard, I've got three trees, and they're only about twenty feet from each other. One is just grown. I mean, and then next to it about 15 or 20 feet away, the same exact tree, and guess what? It's like a midget. It doesn't grow. Same ground, it seems like to me. And then there's another one. I mean, it's just like hanging on for dear life. So that's what you have. But guess what? At least things are growing. So what we have here, we have four soils. These four soils can be divided into two classifications. Good soil... That's one. Three bad soils. You got that? Three bad soils, one good soil. The bad soil cannot sustain life. The good soil produces life. Now notice, the sower is the same. Same guy sowing the seed. Right? The seed is the same. The only difference is the soil. <laughs> okay? So that's all you need to know. There is the parable. He doesn't tell us what it means. He just gives you the parable. Okay? So look what he says in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay? In order to understand this, you have to be able to discern it. You have to have a sense of discernment. And that's how he ends that section. Okay, now beginning in verse 10, Jesus gives us the purpose of parables. Why in the world does he tell parables like this? Okay, so let's find out. Look at verse 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? They asked a question. And he answered and he said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Now I want you to notice immediately two pronouns. You see the two pronouns? I sort of emphasized them. There's the pronoun you, that's his disciples. And then there's the pronoun them, that refers to religious leaders who are rejecting Jesus. You got that? If you can get, grasp that, everything else sort of falls into place. The you and the them. Okay? This tells, here he tells why he gives parables. Look what he says in verse 11. Because it has been given to you, here's why I do parables. I do parables because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. Given what? To know. So I talk in parables so that you'll understand and they won't understand. Okay? Because it's sort of a hidden language. Know what? Knowledge about what? Withhold knowledge. Give knowledge to the disciples withhold knowledge from the religious leaders, knowledge about what, 
Notice what it says in verse 11. Been given to you to know the what? Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. It's all about the kingdom. What are the parables about? They're all about the kingdom. What about the kingdom? The mysteries of the kingdom. Do you see that? Remember Dr. Criswell's favorite Greek word? Yeah, see? Mysterion. It's a mysterion. <laughs> the mysteries of the kingdom. Okay? What, is, what does that mean, the mysteries of the kingdom? All Jews knew that God was bringing in a kingdom. But what's the mystery of the kingdom? The mystery of the kingdom is that God has chosen to inaugurate the kingdom already in the person of Jesus through his words and his deeds. That is not what the religious leaders thought would happen. They thought Messiah would come and overthrow the Roman Empire. God had another plan. It's a plan that is hidden. He hid it from people's eyes until John the Baptist came on the scene and Jesus came on the scene and they began to reveal the mystery that that's not how it was going to happen. In the person of Jesus, God was going to bring in the kingdom already. Not in its fullness, but He was going to start it. And it would be manifested through His miracles. And when you saw His miracles, you realized the kingdom of God was breaking in. And God was doing something supernatural through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now look at verse... wherever we are, 11. Notice it says, it's been given to you. Notice the word given. See that? This knowledge is given. If the knowledge is given, there has to be a giver. And who's giving the knowledge? It's Jesus. Jesus is the knowledge giver. And He gives the knowledge to the disciples through the parables. He withholds knowledge about the kingdom from the religious leaders, the opposers, by teaching those same parables. Some people understand them, and some people do not understand them. Okay. Now, why does Jesus give knowledge to his disciples and withhold it from the religious leaders, withhold it from others? Why does he do that? Well, look what it says in verse 12. For whosoever has, already has a little bit of knowledge, embraces that knowledge about the kingdom, to him more will be given. And he will have abundance. But, watch, but, by contrast, whoever does not have, who rejects the knowledge, such as the religious leaders, even what he has will be taken away. So, Here's the explanation of why Jesus does parables. Through the parables, he provides more knowledge to those who are open. If you are open to Jesus and his message, guess what? You get more. In fact, you get it in abundance. If you are closed to Jesus and his message, you're cut off. You don't get it anymore. And so the parables do two things. It's very interesting. The parables conceal the truth from those people who are rejectors, and it reveals truth to those who are already open. It conceals and it reveals. 
Parables conceal and they reveal. They reveal to those whose hearts are open. They conceal to those whose hearts are closed. If you have a hardened heart, you will not get the message. If you're opposed to Jesus and when he comes on the scene and he begins to preach, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand, and you reject that and you do not do that, through the parables, information will be concealed from you. You won't be able to understand the parables. That's why it says, he who has ears, let him what? So only those who have open ears, those who are closed-minded, well, their hearts are hardened even more. Okay, But God doesn't harden your heart. To start with, you harden it. And if you harden it, then guess what? Information is concealed. Here he's explaining in the parables why there's this polarization. Why is there opposition to him? See? Now look at verse 13. Look at the consequences of all this. Therefore, here's the consequences. Therefore, I speak to them, that would be the religious leaders and the opposers, in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. Even though they can see with their eyes the miracles, they can't discern what it's all about, the kingdom. Nor do they understand. And in them, in these opposers, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and not understand, seeing you will see and not perceive, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. But they haven't done that. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But they haven't done that. He said, "You are a, they are a fulfillment of this prophecy. Now watch that. So the religious leaders fulfill the prophecy found in Isaiah. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but they don't hear. Otherwise, they'd be saved, but they don't do that. They fulfill this Old Testament prophecy. Now look at verse 16, though. But, do you see that? But, here's a contrast. But blessed are what? Your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. See, now he's showing why some people believe and why some people reject. Why he gives the parables to conceal further truth from some, and the parables reveal further truth to others. Depends on where you start out and what your heart's like. Look at verse 17. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets... Now he's, now he's going to say four. Do you see the word four? Beginning of verse 17? He's going to explain why you're blessed. See? Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now why are you blessed? Because, for assuredly I say to you, that many prophets, Old Testament prophets, and righteous men of the past, desired to see what you see, and did not see it. I bet you Jeremiah desired to see these things happening, don't you? I bet you Isaiah desired to see these things happening, don't you? Moses desired to see these things happening. They all looked forward to the kingdom. Daniel, righteous men desired to see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That's why the disciples are blessed. 
the fulfillment of prophecy is taking place right there in their own hearing and in their own sight, right there in their presence. The kingdom of God is breaking in. It's a tremendous passage when you can understand it. And what's the key? The two pronouns. Isn't that amazing? Without understanding and seeing the two pronouns, you really don't even get the message. So Jesus is explaining why some people receive him and why there's opposition. The parables, the preaching of the parables, expose who's who. So somebody hears a parable and says, Ah, what in the world is he talking about? Talking about some seed stuff. Ah, that reveals your heart. Others say, oh, I get it. Oh, that reveals your heart. If you've closed your mind to Christ, you won't understand it. If you've opened your mind to Christ, suddenly it's illuminated and it makes sense and you get more information. So that's the purpose for saying, giving parables. And we got seven parables here, and each one of these parables is given for the purpose of explaining the kingdom, okay? Or concealing the kingdom. Now, let's look at why, or let's look at the meaning of this parable, this particular parable of the four soils. Jesus explains it, okay? He explains the meaning. Look at verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. What are you supposed to do? Hear the parable of the sower. Those that have ears will what? Hear. Those that don't have ears, they're not going to get it. Okay. So now Jesus is going to explain it. This will be one of the few parables that Jesus ever explains. After this, guess what? Either you're going to get it or you're not going to get it. He's not going to explain it anymore. And you'll find out who you are. Are you one that understands? Or are you one that rejects? Okay, so let's... Look at the meaning, the explanation of this parable. Okay? Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Okay? What does it mean? What is the analogy that we're to draw? Scene number one. When anyone, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, what kind of word? It's all about the kingdom, isn't it? When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Okay? Still with me? Anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is he who received the seed by the wayside. Okay? So, Scene number one, the seed that falls by the wayside, the sidewalk, the pathway, represent, is analogous to the person who hears the word, doesn't understand it, and it's just snatched away. The seed is the message or the word of the kingdom. So now we discover what that seed is. It's the message of the kingdom. And uh, they don't get it. These are... People who these people are like the pathway. Pathway's hard. These are hard-hearted people. These are calloused people. These are closed-minded people. You know anybody like this? Word goes out, just bounces off of them. Never penetrates. Uh, these are the kinds of people when you're preaching to them, you might as well be speaking to a brick wall. You know any people like that? They are like 
the soil. This parable is describing what those people were like. Jesus, by the way, is the sower. He's the one that's preaching the kingdom. The apostles are preaching. Hey, and anybody else today that shares the gospel of the kingdom is like a sower. And you're going to have some people, it's just going to bounce off of them. Okay? And they're not going to understand what in the world you're talking about. Okay, now let's look at scene number two. Look at verse 20. But he who received the seed on stony places, notice, he who received the seed, that's the message of the kingdom on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So these are the stony Christians. Not Christians, these are just the stony people. They receive the word, okay, uh, but it doesn't take root. <clears throat> uh, underneath, they look like they're soft on top, but about two inches underneath, there's this stony ground in their heart. At first, they hear the word and they're all excited. It says they receive it and they, they welcome it and they praise the Lord, hallelujah. They walk an aisle. They say, I'm going all out for Jesus. They start off strong, but it never takes root. What happens? What does it say? It says, for a while. They endure for a while. Just like that seed that comes up but then the sun kills it. Endures for a while. But when persecution and tribulation arises, look at this. Because of what? The Word. That's when they stumble. That's when they fall away. There's good. They're fair-weather Christians. Everything works out as long as everything's going smoothly for them. But boy, if they had to ever pay the cost of being a Christian, then their true identity is revealed and they fall away. This is what I call the hallow shall, ha, the shallow how. Remember that? This is a well. I don't even I just forget that. <laughs> <laughs> Told you I was bad with names. <laughs> I was going to name some people shallow how and you know in depth, depth no depth best or something like that, but it, that didn't work. Did it? Uh, their, their commitment is very superficial. Okay, It's not deep. And therefore, uh, they drop by the wayside. Okay, Now look at scene number 3, verse 22. Now, he who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the world and he becomes unfruitful. So these are the thorny people. Uh, they are the gospel of the kingdom enters their heart and uh, things seem to go along for a while but then their attention there is distracted. They're distracted. They're distracted by what? Does it say in verse 22? The cares of the world. What does that mean? Worrying. Who's going to win the election? How am I going to live with, with, with uh, my retirement when I'm getting less than 1% interest? I won't be able to make it for the next 10 years. 
How are my grandkids ever going to get to college? Their parents are lazy bums. You know, all these kinds of things. <coughs> Am I going to make... How about my health? They're worrying about... You know, people who are worried. This is what we call... This is their thought life. Their thoughts distract them from the kingdom issues. From living for the kingdom. For living for Christ. Their thoughts distract them. And then notice what else it says in verse 22. And the deceitfulness of riches... Not only their thoughts, but things. Uh, the seductiveness of things. Oh, I need to do this. I'm going to you know, serve Christ, but I need to do this for... I need to get this. I need to get this. I need that. I need this. And they think about all these things, and they're very seductive. And they're distracted by their thoughts and things. The thoughts of the world and the things of the world, and these are like thorns that choke out. Isn't that what it says it does? Chokes out the word and they become unfruitful. Notice, thoughts and things distract them. It chokes out the kingdom out of their life and they are unfruitful. You see, you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to worry about anything. You, in fact, you don't have a care in the world. You know why? Because God's for you. Can you trust God for every single thing in life? You or your health or this country? For Can you trust Him for everything? Can you trust Him for all the things that you need? Does He say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these what? Things will be... you have to worry about things? You think God can take care of you? If you do... If you can turn your thought life over to the Lord and turn over all your the physical things that you need to the Lord, then guess what? Then you can be about kingdom business. Your mind can be on kingdom activities. You can do things that are important. That's why a couple weeks ago, Rick Warren spoke at Criswell College at the Founders Day Chapel. <clears throat> he was very impressive. I was very impressed with this guy. I went there thinking, ah, I'm going to get some shallow little message, some church growth message. That's not what you got. I was very impressed with Rick Warren. He said, I can't tell you how much money I made on this book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said, but I want you to know, it's tens and tens of millions of dollars. He said, when we, my wife and I realized that this was what was going to happen, we had to have a sit-down talk with Jesus. And we just decided, we're not going to allow any of this to get in our way. So they decided immediately to get 90% of every cent that he ever made to the Lord. And then he started moving it up every year. And I think he said he's up to 93 or 94% of the money that comes in that his, in his bank account goes to the Lord. He started foundations and he's ministering to AIDS victims. He's doing kingdom things. He's not allowing any things to get in his way. He lives in a house, the same house that he lived in 23 years ago when he was poor. It's adequate. But let's face it, 23 years. So he's not allowed anything to get in his way. So he has a very fruitful life. These people, and I think this is the majority of people that come to church and we think that we would call them Christians, but they're worry warts about everything. Not trusting God. They always want to advance over this and this, get more and more and more. 
Very seductive, the things of the world. How much more do you want? Just a little bit. If I can just get this, I'll be... No, you won't. That's the deceitfulness of riches. And so it says, no fruit. What does that mean, no fruit? That means, well, you don't take care of widows. Don't care of or- take care of orphans. Don't give the Sandy's kids. Don't do this. Don't. It's all about you. See, so that's there's no fruit. You lose interest in kingdom things. Kingdom things are always put on the back burner. They're choked out. So that's scene number three. Fruitless. And then scene number four, verse 23. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, meaning the word about the kingdom, understands it, counts the cost. What happens if tribulation comes and persecution comes? Ah, he's counted the cost. He understands all that's involved. Who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So here's the person who hears the gospel of the kingdom, comprehends it, acts on it, and perseveres all the way to the end. Perseveres all the way to the end. Does what the kingdom demands. A Christian by kingdom standards. Now, four categories of people can be divided into two camps. Four categories of people can be divided into two camps. The first three, all unproductive. No fruit. How much fruit? No fruit. The other produces fruit. First camp, not in the kingdom. You know at first it looks like it. Not in the kingdom. Second camp, kingdom citizens. Saved, lost. That's how Jesus describes it. Now, Let's look at the lessons. Okay? Let's look at the lessons that we've learned from this. <clears throat> First of all, we discover that not all who hear the gospel will understand it or produce fruit. That's number one. That's sort of obvious, isn't it? Not all who hear the gospel will understand it or produce fruit. Okay? Number two. If we spread it out far and wide, the gospel... It'll take hold in somebody's life. There'll be somebody that grabs a hold of it. So guess what? Our evangelism has to be broad. Oftentimes, ah, this particular group, I'm going to read... No. Get it out there. Make it broad. It'll take root in somebody's life. And they will indeed respond. Third, I want you to notice, there are many more failures than successes. If you're going to share the gospel with people, you might as well get used to it. A lot, a lot more people are going to reject it than receive it. Now, as an old baseball player, that doesn't bother me because anybody can get a hit every three times is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Every time you get it back, for every ten times you get it back, there are going to be seven failures. If you can't live with failure, don't play baseball. 
My goal was always to get three hits out of ten times. I knew I was going to fail more than, more than succeed. But guess what? If I succeeded three times, I was an all-star. I'm not determined by my failures. I'm determined by the successes. And so we spread it out knowing that there will be more failures than successes, but there will be some successes. We also learn that there's one sign that you're a kingdom citizen. Fruitfulness, perseverance. Fruitful perseverance. The real believer perseveres to the end. You don't persevere to stay saved. You don't persevere to get saved. You persevere because you are saved. So the real believer is one who perseveres. So here's the real question, I guess. If we took a soil sample of your life, <laughs> what would it reveal? If you took a soil sample of my life, what would it reveal? You know, sometimes you have to go and get the, the uh, extension service to come in and take a soil sample, don't you? Find out what you got. Whether this ground will support growth. And if a soil sample of our life was taken, what would we discover? Are we fair weather Christians? Surface Christians? Or fruitful Christians? Now, let me just throw this other thing out. Why do you think Matthew includes this parable? That parable is not in the Gospel of John, not in the Gospel of Luke. Why do you think Matthew includes this parable in his Gospel? Remember, Matthew's writing when? A generation after these events take place. He's writing to people who never saw Jesus. He's telling them the story. Why did he choose to tell them this story? I think it's because, number one... Many people are saying, why did our religious leaders back then reject Jesus? He includes this story so they would understand why. Uh, also, it helps his own audience to understand why some of their own Jewish relatives are rejecting Jesus. Why is it that I accepted him and my grandmother rejects him? My brother rejects him? Oh, this explains why some people reject him. Because the gospel's enclosed off to them because they just rejected him up front. I don't believe any of that stuff. It's nonsense. It also explains why there's a division in Matthew's day. This guy who's writing 40 or 50 years later in the church that he's writing to. Why is there a division between Judaism and Christianity? Whatever happened? Why is there a difference between non-Messianic Jews and Messianic Jews? How did that division ever happen? Why is it that Judaism seems to be dying out, they're saying 50 years later? You know, temples being destroyed, you know, Rome is persecuting the Jews. Why, why is Judaism dying out? And why is Christianity growing and there's abundance and we're a, move, a growing movement? And uh, this parable of Jesus explains that. This parable of Jesus explains that it's all about the kingdom and it's how we respond to the kingdom. And those who reject the kingdom, their movements and they will die out. And those who accept the kingdom, which we call Christianity today, just continues to explode and explode and explode and explode and explode. Is Judaism exploding? No. Is Christianity exploding? Everywhere. See, this parable really solves a lot of issues. Now, next week, we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed, the parable of leaven, 
the prophecies of parables, and the parables of the tares and the wheat. And we're going to see each one of these te- parables explains another aspect of the mystery of the kingdom. So that's where we'll stop and where we'll pick up. Lord, help us to act on the knowledge that we have. Help us not to be uh, surface believers. Help us not to be fair weather believers. Help us not to be people who strong when there's no opposition, when there's no persecution. Help us not to be caught up in the deceptiveness of riches. Uh, those that you blessed with riches and things, help us not to be lured and taken in by them. Help us to use those things as tools for your kingdom. Help us to realize, Lord, we have nothing to worry about. You say, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Lord, help us to learn these lessons. Help us to be strong kingdom citizens that persevere and are fruitful. Help our actions to match our words. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.